Welcome to Tactical Faith Radio. I'm Matt Burford. I am solo today. Travis is not with me, but I am proud to have one of my great friends. His name is Jay Watts. Uh, he is starting a new ministry called Merely Human. He is based out in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, Jay, uh, first met Jay, I don't know, going on seven years now. Uh, I think it's been that long. And uh, mm-hmm. got introduced to him at uh, through Life Training Institute, a friend of mine through Stand a Reason out in California, said, you really need to contact this guy. Uh, he's got a lot of good stuff going on. And since then, we have created a really great relationship. What I like to do with Tactical Faith, because I know I can't be an authority in all things, and nobody should be, uh, I've always tried to surround myself with people that are not only are they really smart and intelligent, but they go real deep in one particular subject. And, uh, and in this particular subject, we're talking about pro-life issues, uh, the issue of abortion, reproductive justice, whatever you want to, whatever you want to say. Jay Watts has gone really deep in that subject and has really become a wonderful national advocate for pro-life, uh, issues. Uh, Jay, thank you for coming on, uh, Tactical Faith Radio. Oh, my, my pleasure. Uh, tell me a little bit about your background. Tell me how, um, you got to where you are today, and tell us more about Merely Human um, as an organization, what its mission statement is. Well, uh, background-wise, how I got here is I can only describe as a Christian as this was clearly what God drew me towards, drove me towards, uh, because it was not an issue that I would have told you younger. When I was younger, I was a pro-choice atheist. Uh, when I first became a Christian— Remember, I was an atheist and pro-choice at the time that Operation Rescue was the central focus of the pro-life movement. And so the contentiousness between the two sides was what I knew more than anything. So after becoming a Christian, I just really didn't want anything to do with this particular issue. It took about a decade almost of God working on my heart, working on my mind, changing my position on this. So at the very time that I became incredibly uneasy and uncomfortable working in just a secular business world any longer. I was doing well. I was doing all right. I was I was making money for my family, but I just wanted a life where I could talk about God all the time, and it wasn't something that I had to be careful about doing. At the exact same time that that moment hit, I became aware of what was going on in abortion in the United States and became deeply convicted that there was something wrong. And so something I had a desire to never talk about actually became something where I went to God and said, look, I don't know what I can do. I don't know what talents or abilities I have, but I would like to get involved with this. God, I will do, just let me do something to stand against it because it was, I heard things like, I remember the, the partial birth abortion ban discussions on the floor of the House uh, of Representatives in Congress, and you would hear these people get up and defend what seemed obviously indefensible to any reasonable and moral human being, this particular act. And it drove me and other information that I came in contact with to want to be involved. And a pastor friend said, look, if you want to be involved, put hands and feet to what you're doing. Don't just be outraged by it. Go volunteer volunteer at your local pregnancy center. I went to volunteer at my local pregnancy center. After about an hour discussion as a volunteer, they ended up offering me a job. I took the job. And then the first day I came in as as the development coordinator for this organization, they said, we're we're working on a banquet. And the only thing that we have is where the banquet's going to be and the date that it's going to be on. And we booked the speaker. And his name is Scott Klusendorf. And I was aware of Scott's work when he was with Stand to Reason. He had recently started Life Training Institute. And so almost immediately moving into the pro-life movement, I met Scott Klusendorf, we became friends. Three years later, I went to work for him to help him build LTI as a development coordinator there. 
we rebranded it. We re-logo. We did a new website. We came up with a new plan. But what happened was there was feedback from me speaking a couple of times that first year that was very positive. And so Scott called me in for a meeting after the first year, and he said, "I don't. I, you have to choose one or the other. You're either a development coordinator or you're a speaker. I want you to be a speaker. I think that's where you need to be. So I think we need to take administrative stuff off of you and put you entirely into out there speaking. And and it just took off from there. I've been blessed to, to just, where I go and speak, I get another opportunity. And, and this is a central preoccupation of my life. I, and not just speaking about this, but reading about it, studying about it. The idea behind both what I did at LTI and now that I've left Life Training Institute, with Scott's blessing, by the way, this was not a bad thing. This was a point where Scott and I sat down and we said, we have grown to the point where I think you need to start your own organization, is what he told me, and and we just, and I'll support you, and I'll tell everybody I'm on your side, and we'll be co-laborers in this, just as different organizations. Uh, but in both organizations, what I do is I want to help people to be able to be equipped to have conversations about morally important issues, primarily things like abortion, value of human life issues like physician-assisted suicide, uh, anything where we start to talk about embryonic stem cell research, chimera research, all of these areas that can be difficult for a layperson who's just sitting in the pew of their church but has a job that they're doing all the rest of the week to be up on what's going on in the world around them, and they may lack the capacity to be able to engage it because the world is constantly just throwing these things at them in argumentative form. And so what both LTI and Merely Human Ministries now, what I do here, is we're trying to give people a language, a strategy, an ability to be able to confront these things, to process this information and be able to speak back into it intelligently, but in a way that defends the idea that all human beings have dignity, have value, are the image bearers of God in all human beings at every stage of development, at every stage of life, at every stage of health, ought to be treated with dignity and respect. So let me ask you, I'm going to throw a question at you. Um, I think from living in Alabama, uh, making um, and doing what I do and doing a lot of teaching in churches, I don't think anybody is going to say, especially down where in Alabama, Georgia, Deep South, they're going to be supportive of abortion. Um, but there seems to be a tricky issue with some that I talk individually, especially women, where they you talk about the word dignity. It's almost like the, the women that I talk to, the Christian women I talk to about, why don't you go out and talk against abortion? Uh, they get trapped on this issue of rights. They get trapped on this issue of women's rights. How do, how do you talk and how do you equip um, especially women. I don't know if there's even should be a difference, but you know we get trapped as Christians when when another position that believes in abortion says, "Well, what about rights? Uh, how do you define rights and freedom in a proper Christian perspective?" Um, I'm just asking you as a question. Yeah. How, how would you define rights and freedom? Let me break down two things about what you just asked. Number one, I want to push back a little bit because. The Democratic National Party is not as convinced as you are that Alabama and Georgia can't be turned blue. And they're putting a lot of effort into that. And one of the areas where we see an increased boldness in how they campaign in Georgia over the last couple of years is they believe that they're going to win on reproductive rights in the suburbs of Atlanta. And they've already won in Atlanta. Atlanta is going to go that direction. But in the suburbs of Atlanta, and we see, we see legitimate political efforts in the area where I live, which has historically been an incredibly conservative area, we just elected a Democrat. 
in the last election process. Uh, and one of the areas where they pushed very hard was this idea that they feel like we can win because women in these areas, in these suburban areas, are more likely to vote in their and what they would consider their interest. Now that's interesting messaging. Let's get to that, the next part. The next part is a concept of messaging. What happens is that the, the pro-life movement pushed very hard for a long time that the central issue that we need to focus on is the issue, what are the unborn? If we're gonna determine what the right or wrong of this issue is, we have to determine, number one, to who is this happening? To whom is this happening? Is this happening uh, to unborn life? Then what is unborn life? Is it the kind of human life that we have to respect? Now, science tells us that it's whole, distinct, and living human life from the moment it comes into existence. It's a human organism, and this is inarguable. Uh, but the question is, is it the kind of human organism that we're allowed to kill? So as, as the pro-life position focused on this, the pro-choice position recognized that any time that they argued about babies and about life, they were losing. And they made a deliberate pivot. Uh, they made a deliberate turn to say, we're no longer going to discuss that. What we're going to focus on entirely is the woman. And it was very successful for them. They do everything they can to not have any attention come to the question as what are the unborn. And, and I'm not exaggerating as I'm saying this is a calculated move. I remember several years ago, uh, prior after like the re-election of President Bush, uh, the second Bush, George W. Bush and his reelection, I sat there and watched panels where pro-choice advocates all said, we cannot allow the conversation to be placed on what is the unborn. When we're talking about the unborn child or when an issue was raised, I mentioned earlier the idea of the partial birth abortion issue. Anytime a particular procedure or subject matter comes up where we confront what we're actually doing to the unborn human before it's born through the act of abortion, the country skews towards a pro-life view because for the first time the the media has to be participant has to be a participant in allowing people to know what's actually happening and so now we have this pivot to this position where everything is moving away from the idea of what is the unborn and what you're talking about women's rights now what we have to ask and we have to get it back to is that question okay women's rights if i say if a woman says me a woman has a right to an abortion or a woman has a right to choose let's even leave it at that a woman has a right to choose the question that we have to ask in response to get moral clarity is choose what you see, nobody is arguing that women don't have the right to make choices. Women have the right, and I would agree with them, to make all sorts of choices on which I would support them to make, where they live, what they, what they eat, what they wear, what they do for a living. Uh, who, all of these things and other choices that even I may morally disagree with, I believe they have the right to make. But in this particular case, what they're saying is women have the right or a choice to destroy their unborn, unborn offspring uh, for elective reasons, largely, about 99% of the time. And so we have to focus back on the question, what is the nature of the choice that you're making? What is the nature of the right that you're making, that you're a claim to have? And where is this right grounded? Because if we look at, I mentioned you and I privately had a conversation where I talked about a friend of mine, Mark Harrington, and his organization created equal. And I said, I think created equal is the greatest name. They want it because they take it directly from the Declaration of Independence. And they actually use as their logo Thomas Jefferson's script for created equal. And what and what they say when we talked about that is that that reference to the Declaration of Independence, that we are created equal and endowed by our creator with unalienable rights. And among those rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Life being the preeminent right, the right by which every other right is dependent upon. In order to have any other right, we must first be alive. 
if they're having, if they're claiming a right that supersedes that, a right to be able to do with their body what they will, they're claiming it's my body, my choice. But what we push back when we cross the question is what are the unborn, we have to be clear. What we're asking you is, is it your body? Because it's a whole distinct and living human organism that we're talking about. Is that your body? Are those your arms, your legs? Is that your torso, your intestines? Is it your form that is being destroyed through the act of abortion? It's not an organ. It's not a part, a constituent part of your organism. It's not serving your whole. It's an organism unto itself. And so we take the responsibility. I tell people when I train them, we have to become teachers in the culture. We have to learn to be able to talk to people about these things and make these distinctions. What are the unborn? The unborn are undeniably human. Science confirms that. Whole, distinct, and living human. Are they the kind of human that we have the right to destroy? When women make claims to rights and they say, I have a right to do this because it's my body, we have to push back and say, well, what are the unborn? Are they your body? Is that an organ of your body that you're choosing to remove? Or is it an independent organism, needy by nature, that you participated in creating and that you now want to destroy for elective reasons? Those are entire. We have to clarify the moral nature of the choice of the right that they're trying to claim and then to push it back at that point and say if what makes us valuable is our humanity then that human life has a right to life and you you have no right that supersedes that life you don't have the right to destroy it uh, based on what we call elective reasons so i think that's important what you just said which is understand what it is that you're arguing and also what are the terms and how you're how you're using the terms as opposed to somebody else that believes another way. Like I, I saw a phrase yesterday when they were talking about this New York law that was just passed using the phrase reproductive health act. Yes. Like to me, that's for me as a Christian, I have to look at that phrase and say exactly what is it that they're saying? And, yes. and you know, from, from their particular perspective. So unpack that phrase just as, as, as a practice, I'm reading something as a Christian, I come across something that says, uh, I got this straight from Fox News. Tuesday, we we celebrate the passage of the Reproductive Health Act. As a Christian, how do you break that phrase down? Well, we're talking about the re when they start to talk about reproductive justice or, or reproductive health act. Notice they they support unequivocally what they would call reproductive rights and the right to abortion, but they're going to do everything they can to remove that term from abortion or have for years to try. Now they're getting bolder, but the reason they're using terms like reproductive health act, reproductive justice, framing this in justice issues is because they know that this type of language gets traction with people. This is about justice. It's about rights. It's about my reproductive rights and a reproductive health act and abortion as health care. That is one of the things that they're arguing. Uh, the new head of Planned Parenthood has publicly said several times, abortion care is health care. This is simply health care. This is the way we take care of women's health is to give them the ability to destroy their offspring. So what we always have to do is not allow language that covers it up, this type of this this type of language that makes it fuzzy what we're talking about, and get right back to the question, what are the unborn and what are you doing to them? You can call it anything that you want. We have always been very good at giving flowery language to morally inappropriate or morally 
monstrous actions. Actually, G.K. Chesterton talks about this way back in his book, Eugenics and Other Evils, where he talks about that we're capable of, of constructing language that is flowery and lovely and soothes our liberal ear and our desire to think of ourselves as progressives. When we talk about things like uh, the idea of physician-assisted suicide and, and empathy and all of the different things. And he said, but if you plug in the next phrase, kill your grandmother, it's a startling thing, right? And so he says, we have to get back to language that startles, morally plain language. When you talk about Reproductive Health Act, what you're talking about is codifying and protecting the right to kill your unborn offspring, the right to kill the unborn child that's growing inside the mother. It's, what you're talking about is the right to kill the next generation. All of these things is why do you have the right to do that? Force them to answer that question. Okay, what are the unborn that we're allowed to kill them? Because that's what's happening. Undeniably, inarguably, a human life is being destroyed. Why do you have the right to destroy that life? And they have to give an argument. I can give arguments philosophically defending the idea that all human beings ought to be treated with human and with human dignity and respect based entirely on their humanity, and that our humanity, our common humanity, is the best place to ground our common intuition of equal dignity and equal rights that we experience when we look at different cultures and say, that's wrong when that happened to those human beings, that should never happen. What's happening in Yemen right now is wrong. No human being should ever be treated like that, no matter what culture they live in, no matter what country they live in, no matter what government they live under, no matter what religion they are, human beings ought to be treated better than that. And when I appeal to that idea, I'm appealing to universal human dignity and universal human value. So I'll make my case that that is best grounded in our common humanity because it's the only thing that we share equally. If you want to be free to kill a certain category of human beings, you just need to make your case as to why those human beings matter less than the rest of us. We have to push through those languages that's meant to obscure the act that's happening and get back to plain language. Abortion is the intentional killing of an innocent human life. Why are you allowed to kill that human life? Boy, wouldn't it be interesting to go back into the uh, kind of the 19th century, 1800 arguments of slavery and how language was used like three fifths a person. Or it would even be interesting to go back to southern pro-slavery sermons and see what flowery language they used and not to deal with the fact that, you know, those African-Americans were actually human beings. I bet there's a I bet there's a huge parallel between what's happening now in language and what happened then. It's just what we do. Right. As humans. Yeah. I mean, Absolutely. Chris, philosopher, Catholic philosopher Christopher Kayser points that out. He says, look, all through human history, we have done this. We have drawn a line through humanity and said, over here, these are these are category of human beings that we call persons or like me in morally important ways, whether in the racial distinctions that you're making during chattel slavery in the United States, uh, whether it was religious distinctions that was made in Europe at different times. He says, we draw a line through humanity and say, these people are like me. And these other humans over here, they're not like me. And we find ways to explain it through language. But he says at the end of the day, what we have morally matured in every single case throughout human history to realize that we never should have done that. Because by redefining them, we're giving ourselves the excuse to do what? To mistreat them, to take from them, to seize from them, to enslave them, to kill them. We always begin by defining them out of the human family that we consider valuable first, and then we use that as our excuse to do with them what we want. And Christopher Kayser says, we have always 
morally matured to see we never should have done that. And then he asked this question. He says, what are the chances that for the first time we are right? What are the chances that for the first time in human history we have finally found a category of human being that we are justified in mistreating? We have always been wrong before. What are the chances that we have finally successful, uh, successfully identified a group of human life that we're allowed to treat the way that we're treating them? And his response is, of course, not good. It's not, that's not good. There's not a good chance that we're right this time. More likely than not, we will morally mature and realize yet again, we dehumanized human life and we never should have done that. Wow, there's just so much we could talk about, but we only have a few more minutes. Tell people that want to know more about your ministry, where they can go online. Um, I know you go out and you speak a lot. If you, I'm assuming you have a calendar online of where you're going. We are developing the website right now. So as we're building the website, we're going to be building the calendar and the way that we're going to keep everybody. The website is merelyhumanministries.org. Uh, there's a story as to why it's not just merelyhuman.org, and I can tell you that some other time, but merelyhumanministries.org. Uh, and we're also on Facebook at Merely Human Ministries. If you go to our website, you can see the different areas where we're going to be expanding into social media and to Instagram and to Twitter as well. We're just getting everything going, but the website is very. It has a lot of content already on it, a lot of resources that people can use. Uh, on there, I would encourage people, especially in light of New York, if I, if I could say one thing about what you mentioned, the Reproductive Health Act in New York, I would like to say uh, that a lot, yesterday as that was passed, a lot of people felt upset, uh, no, obviously, because what happened was New York took measures to protect, in their mind, the state of New York from a conservative Supreme Supreme Court rolling back of Roe v. Wade. And so what they did was they put Roe v. Wade-like standards throughout New York uh, as far as law, and they removed criminal prosecution of cases of treating the unborn as human from the penal code. They did all this in an effort to protect abortion in New York. And yesterday, as people began to realize what that meant for the unborn in New York, which is already probably behind California, which won't report its abortion numbers, the, the, by far the highest rate of abortion in the country, uh, they got upset. What part of our organization and part of organizations like Life Training Institute as well is to equip schools to be able to deliver pro-life content to those students. So I would like to encourage everyone, go to our organization and check out the Free School Project. Go to organizations like Life Training Institute, which would be at uh, prolifetraining.com. We're at merelyhumanministries.com. If you, if you know a Catholic or Protestant school in places like New York where the argument needs to be made, we, have, we as organizations will make it possible for us to get in there, get in front of Catholic and Protestant schools at the high school level where these kids are forming their ideas about life and make a case in front of them. That's, that's what our organizations exist to do, to make a case before audiences, take Q&A, confront the other side on the front lines. We are willing to do this and we're willing to underwrite it. Both organizations have some donors that are willing to put that out there. So. Those resources are available at merelyhumanministries.org. Uh, if you have the ability to, anywhere in the United States, to invite us into a school, take part in our free school project, turn in your application, and we have donors that will pay to get us in front of your students to make the case for life and to equip them to become part of this. I want to encourage people not to be discouraged about what happened yesterday permanently uh, in, in New York, but to rally themselves to start to avail themselves of the resources that they have and for Protestant and Catholic high schools and churches to commit themselves to make a case for life, to get bold in their language, to stand up before this culture because we can win on the science and we can win on the philosophy.
Oh, that's awesome. Uh, we have you next week. You're coming into town, um, but it's just going to be me and you and a couple of other guys from TF. But we want to get you um, here into some schools in the area this year. And for those who might be listening in our state, particularly, uh, you can go to merelyhumanministries.org or even a very soon Tactical Faith. Uh, contact me at Matt Burford, well, at Matt at tacticalfaith.com if you want information about when we're bringing Jay specifically and I'm sure uh, we'll do a lot of cross promotion with his ministry as well we have tried under our uh, the umbrella of our organization and our ministry to support people like Jay because of all the work that they have done and uh, we will continue to do so in every possible way hey thanks Jay we will we're going to have more with you in the coming years I'm sure and uh, blessings on your ministry and we hope we can be a great support just over a state away in Alabama. Thank you for everything, Matt. So I thought, so I thought, so I thought I'd leave it. So I thought, so I thought, so I thought I'd leave it. So I thought I needed it.